0: Today on the podcast, a weird entity with a weird name gets sued in a really weird way. We're talking about how process serving works in the bold new world of crypto and whether a federal financial regulator is getting a little bit too cute here. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz, and sorry about my voice. So to properly set up today's episode, we're going to play a clip from the 2008 Seth Rogen James Franco action comedy, Pineapple Express. Here's Rogen explaining to his pal Franco what he does for a living.
1: Oh, I'm a process server, so I have to wear a suit. Wow. wow. You're a servant? Like a butler? A chauffeur? No. No. What? No.
0: I'm not like... No, I'm Shine a, shoes? I, I'm a process server. I like... in process. I work for a company that's like hired by lawyers to like hand out legal documents, like subpoenas to people who don't want them, so I gotta Subpoena. wear like disguises sometimes just to make them admit that they're themselves so I can serve them the, the papers. Disguise? Kind of, I guess. It's a hell of a job. That's cool, man. Despite what James Franco just said, process serving is typically seen as one of the most boring parts of the legal biz. Boring, but important. If you get it wrong and incorrectly sue a defendant, you can tank an otherwise slam-dunk case. But again, this is pretty basic stuff. You might have to hire a Seth Rogen to do it for you. But it seems like in the year 2022, lawyers have pretty much figured out how to serve papers. Or at least they had before crypto came around. The exotic legal structures and extreme anonymity of businesses involved in crypto and other digital assets make it actually kind of hard sometimes to know who to sue or how. And it's forced attorneys to get a little creative. Earlier this year, a crypto exchange trying to sue an anonymous person or people who allegedly stole its digital assets got permission from a judge to send out its suit via NFT. The exchange sent the alleged thief or thieves, an unlabeled NFT, which when open, actually contained the legal documents. Boom, process served. But now we have a case in which a federal agency is being accused of getting too creative in serving someone in the crypto world. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission served a crypto entity called Uki Dow, yes, that's its name, by posting the suit in Uki's online chat room. Both Uki and other outside attorneys say this flies in the face of proper due process, and here today to discuss that is Matt Boltman. Matt wrote a story about this whole dispute and why it could imperil the CFTC's enforcement action, and I started off by asking him to explain to me why getting process serving right is so important. The
2: idea with service is that if I decide to sue someone, I have to provide them with notice of the lawsuit and the necessary legal documents. So it's it's grounded in the Constitution's due process requirement. It's meant to ensure that before a person is found liable for something, that they have fair notice of the claims against them and an ability to appear in court to defend themselves. And yes, if... If service is not done properly, it can mean
0: that the lawsuit is is unable to proceed. So in other words, you have to prove that the person you're suing knows they're being sued right?
2: In a way, I mean there are established channels for service. For example, I walk up to you and hand you a summons and a copy of the complaint. If you can't provide service through those kinds of traditional means, you can ask the court to allow what's known as alternative service. So whether the chosen method is proper, basically kind of boils down to whether what you're doing is reasonably calculated to give the person notice
0: of the claims against them. So you're not trying to like trick them, you're actually you're actually trying to you're making format. a
2: genuine making a genuine
0: effort. Got it, I see. Um so let's talk about Uki. And I really wish that the name of this company was not Uki, but that's the name of the company. So let's talk about what happened here. We're going to have to explain a lot of stuff. There's a lot of a lot of acronyms. So first off, Uki is a decentralized autonomous organization, or a, a DAO. What is that? How how does that work? And how is Uki uh, different than a normal company?
2: The idea of a decentralized autonomous organization, it's a new kind of organizational structure built with blockchain technology. It can be thought of as a kind of community-run crypto club with people coming together for a particular endeavor. So one recent example is a DAO called the Constitution DAO raised over $45 million in an attempt to buy a copy of the US Constitution. Did they succeed? No, they were unsuccessful. Oh. <laughs> so the, the DAO is governed by members who hold special tokens. And these members make decisions by voting with their tokens. The Uki DAO, as the CFTC alleges, allowed its members to make leverage trades on. Digital assets. So the commission says that means that the Dow should have been registered
0: with the CFTC. Yeah, there's another acronym. Let's talk about the CFTC or the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. This is, I think, in a federal agency that not a lot of people know about. What you know, but they have a big role to play when it comes to crypto, right?
2: They are there. They have been, I guess, involved in kind of the crypto community along with other federal agencies. That the SEC has been. Active in this space as well, the Department of Justice has been active in this space as well. So there's kind of, at this point, different agencies that are involved in the in the crypto space.
0: So the CFTC sued Uki, saying they didn't register uh, properly. But the issue here is, who do you serve? Who is running the Uki? Because it sounds like that's the whole point. It's this like non hierarchical, leaderless collective. Um, so what did they end up doing?
2: Yeah. So the commission told the court that there are significant obstacles to some of those traditional methods of serving a business or an organization. The, the Uki Dao does not have a mailing address. There's no listed president or someone appointed to accept service on behalf of the Dao.
0: Because that's that's another thing that I just realized. So the, the even the other members of the Dao maybe don't know who each other are, because these are all people with like anonymous online handles, right? So even, you know, if you found one person in this and you couldn't even know who the other people
2: are. Exactly. The idea of it is is kind of this, in theory, it's this group of anonymous people from all over the world, potentially, who kind of come together. Um, yeah, not necessarily knowing who one another is. So what they decided to do was post copies of the complaint in a help chat box on what the commission believes is the Oki Dow's website. And then it also said that it provided notice of the lawsuit in an online chat forum where members of the Dow talk. And the court initially approved this as proper service. There have been a couple amicus briefs filed, and there is a hearing scheduled for late November about this process issue.
0: So, and the issue here is that there's no guarantee that every member of this DAO would log on to this chat box and see this, the copy of the lawsuit, right? Yeah,
2: and I guess to understand some of the concerns with this service of process, it's helpful to understand the CFTC's legal theory in this case. And the CFTC's view is that every member of the DAO who votes on governance issues can potentially be held liable for the DAO's regulatory violations, so that theory is new in its own right, and it has some potential implications that concern people. So one example that several people gave is, I'm a DAO member, and there's a proposal to do something that I know will violate regulations. So I vote against it, but I'm outvoted. I may have just exposed myself to liability by voting, even though I may have been trying to do the right thing. So combining that with the issue of service, the concerns that the CFTC is combining this broad view of liability with a kind of flimsy service that isn't designed to actually give people notice of the claims which they could be held liable for.
0: Yeah. And a a lot of the attorneys that you spoke to for your story agree with that and said that, you know, this is an example of an agency really cutting corners when it comes to uh, process service. This was like a you know, a totally insufficient way to do this. I mean, they did get it approved by a court, but still, I mean, this was, this raised a lot of uh, eyebrows here, right?
2: Yeah. I think the comparison that a lot of the lawyers that I spoke with drew to the CFTC posting a complaint in a chat box here was pinning a lawsuit on a bulletin board in a town square rather than actually handing someone
0: a copy of the complaint. Yeah. However, though, I mean, to play devil's advocate, I guess, uh, Is Uki sort of using this kind of decentralized anonymous structure to avoid being sued? Because we've all heard about people who are hard to serve and process servers having to disguise themselves and, you know, uh, say, you know, are you so-and-so? Well, here, you're you're served with these papers. Um, Is this a way that, you know, Uki can avoid liability by just saying like, hey, if you can't serve us, you can't sue us?
2: So the Uki DAO is somewhat unusual in that, as the CFTC alleges, one of its co-founders had publicly stated that they wanted to organize the DAO, believing it would insulate them from regulatory oversight. Basically, basically the implication was that they were intentionally trying to avoid oversight. At the same time, a lot of the overarching questions here, what kind of entity is a DAO? What's the appropriate service of process? Those can be mapped onto other DAOs, which as we talked about, by their nature, are designed to be these kind of amorphous groups with no centralized authority. I think most people would agree that you want regulators to be able to go after bad actors, but at the same time as one law professor had had said, you don't want the CFTC or any other group of plaintiffs to be able to kind of run roughshod and file lawsuits without people ever having a chance to defend themselves.
0: So that, okay, so that kind of leads me to the last question I had. And I think you may have already answered it, but I want to just clarify. So it sounds like, you know, when I read about anything having to do with crypto, it makes me think this is totally new. This is like, a, these, this poses novel questions that we no one's ever really thought about. But it sounds like that's not really the case, because at least when it comes to process serving, because we've always had kind of difficult to serve entities or difficult to serve people, you know, think of a company where it's not clear who owns the company and you're trying to sue it. So is this a, just a situation where the old rules are going to be grafted onto this new crypto world? Or or is this a really, really new situation and we're going to have to come up with new rules in the legal world to deal with crypto?
2: There are a handful of states that have passed laws specifically defining what type, type of a legal entity a DAO is and kind of outlining some of the processes and procedures for that there was some suggestion that we need something more on the federal level, kind of outlining this, outlining the very various procedures, including how you might go about serving process on a DAO. At the same time, in this particular case, I think this the suggestion is there simply just needs to be more of an effort to serve those individuals that could potentially be held liable. And one suggestion that people have made came from a recent New York case, where millions of dollars worth of digital assets were stolen from a virtual currency exchange. And the plaintiffs in that case were able to identify the digital wallet that was holding the money, even if they didn't know the individual. And a court allowed the plaintiffs to airdrop a copy of the complaint into that digital wallet and found that was proper service. So it suggested that something similar could be done here.
0: All right, well, that was Matt Boltman serving us with a really interesting uh, and weird crypto story. Uh, Matt, thank you for uh, talking with us. All right, thank you. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew and Our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at Blaw. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week.
2: An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors.
1: A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college.
2: Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me.
1: This season on Uncommon Law, We'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, "Okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's equal protection clause prohibit all discrimination based on race?
2: You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos
1: including me. And so somehow that's too much. Somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.